Remote work has long moved beyond simply being a trend or a lifestyle. It's a natural evolution in the way we work and collaborate, a complete and vital redesign with profound positive impact for businesses, teams, and society as a whole. With it comes a work culture revolution that requires putting freedom, trust, and conscious behavior at the core of every business who wants to thrive. I'm Sarah Regalhuth, your host, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and expert in growing happy, high-performing remote teams. Since 2014, I've been running all my businesses remotely, and that has deeply changed who I am as a leader. I've gone from micromanaging an unhappy team, suffering high turnover and working long hours, to moving to the US, traveling roughly six months a year, and loving the shit out of my team and being constantly amazed as to what we're achieving. Join me as I dive into conversations about remote work magic, conscious culture, and the future of work with some of the most inspiring founders and leaders in the remote work space. Insights, tips, success, and failure, innovation, we share it all. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone to this episode of Conscious Culture, where I have one of my very own or one of our very own, Janine Tracy, who is a transformational leadership coach within Grow My Team. She runs our transformational leadership six-week program. It is an incredible program. Uh, We get into it in detail toward the end of the podcast, um, but really just have a great chat about conscious leadership and where the world is going and the things and the shifts that she's seen and I've seen over the years toward this bringing our whole selves as leaders and encouraging our team to bring their whole selves to the organization and how that transforms the culture. Janine is amazing. She takes us through her career. She's been working remotely for a long time, much longer than me, um, kind of in the experimental days with some bigger corporations. She brings a diversity to our team. I love working with her and she's bringing a diversity of topics and conversation to this episode. So you will love it as much as I did, I'm sure. Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so exciting. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on and to talk all things leadership. Um, You are the resident leadership consultant guru at Grow My Team. Um, (laughs) Guru is a very strong word. (laughs) (laughs) I think you are. You're amazing. And you've developed an incredible uh, remote leadership course, which ultimately is just leadership, but we've certainly you know, created a bent toward remote work, which is really amazing and really relevant right now. So I'd love to talk to the, about that a little bit in this episode. But first, I would love to just hear a little bit more about you and 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 where you kind of, where your career took you that you became so interested in leadership. Um, and before we dive in, I thought I might just tell the story of how we ended up working together because I think it's, it's pretty mm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's a good example of how fluid and um, flowy, I guess, our culture, <laughs> but also intuitive uh, and connected our culture is at Grow My Team um, and also mm. at Remotely. So you reached out to um, someone who was working with us last year, Liam, who no longer works with us anymore, if I remember correctly, right at the beginning um, on LinkedIn maybe? I can't. Yes. How did you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah? it was. It was on LinkedIn, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew you had connected. I couldn't remember exactly how and, and had a bit of a chat about 
the potential growth consultant role and different things we were doing in the business and just generally interested in what we were doing. And I remember him being super excited, like, Sarah, you have to meet this woman. She's amazing. Um, And we ended up at some point, you and I connecting on the phone and just had like a very, like a great conversation, very connected, very in flow. Um, And we kind of just kept the channel open of how we might be able to work together. We didn't really have it exactly um, on lock in that first conversation, Mm -hmm. but we kind of kept in touch. And then it was, it was, and that would have been mid to second half of last year. And we stayed in touch. And then it was really after COVID that we reconnected again and decided to build this leadership course, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. I was thinking, was it last year or the year before that we originally connected? Because I feel like we... So I, I actually I actually met with Liam and uh, so so um, I originally had seen this ad on LinkedIn and so I did some researching <laughs> did some did some uh, investigating on you as well and the companies that you'd, you'd um, created and I was really inspired by your fluidity and your flow and so that's what actually inspired me to reach out. And um, when I met with Liam, I thought, oh, wow, this is a, it's a really responsive company or it's a really um, intriguing company to work with. It's, you know, it's not rigid in its approach to anything. And that's when I thought, you know, I really want to work with you in some capacity. Same thing, you know, we just we didn't know what capacity it would be. But So, so it was either last year or the year before. I can't quite recall. Because I think we re- I think we reconnected again at the end of last year, and then ended up um, post COVID. Yeah, maybe that's what yeah, it was, and yeah. it was. I mean, it was very close to when when COVID kind of um, mm. first hit that we picked up conversations again, and yeah. you had the idea to build a leadership program to help all of these companies who were thrown into remote work, kind of in more of an emergency context, and particularly. I mean, not only small businesses, but also, which is really, we generally work with smaller to medium growing businesses as our core customer base, but we also saw that need out there um, for this within the bigger corporate space, leaders all of a sudden who really had probably been acting more like managers in big office buildings with their team in proximity all of a sudden thrown into a remote context, which in my opinion and perspective and experience, it really, leadership is the word I use um, more so than management when I think about how I and how we at Grow My Team and how it works in a remote context when it comes to empowering your team for success. I think if we, management feels like I don't know, keeping track of tasks and key things, but it's kind of not the way I like to think about dealing with people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like to think of dealing with people and motivating people more in a leadership context. So you came up with this incredible um, six-week leadership program, transformative leadership program, which we've had so much success with and so much wonderful, wonderful feedback. I know one of our customers I was talking with recently said her comment was, because she had sent her um, manager through the program, who is now very much a leader, and she said, oh, it's like having a a new person in the office. So that was Mm -hmm. pretty transformative for them, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, But tell us a little bit more about you and your career and where you really got interested in this type of 
leadership, this more conscious leadership, this bringing our whole selves, because you have a very extensive career in consulting in this space. I would love to hear more about it. Yeah, yeah. I've had a very diverse career so far and, you know, it's it's I haven't just stuck to one thing, <laughs> but I've kind of almost ended up here in default. So uh, I started off in banking actually years and years ago and um, then kind of morphed into, I, I ended up by default, I ended up working in a call centre in New Zealand and I started working from home. So it was a new it was a new concept back then. It would have been probably in maybe early 2000s. Very, very new wow. concept to have a team working from home. And so there was one woman who'd, who'd been, you know, given the, the role of setting up a remote team to see how it would work. Were they, why were they doing that? Was it just out of exploration and what was possible or yeah. what was the impetus? Yeah, it was mm-hmm. mostly out of exploration to see what's possible, but That's also cool. to see um, if the efficiencies were, you know, increased by people working from home. It was also to save costs on office space. Um, and it was a, it's a company who we trained people how to use their mobile phones. This is how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people only used about, you know, 5% capacity of what their phones were capable of doing. And I think it's probably still the same now, but, but mm. you know, it was back when Blackberries and HTCs and um, Apple's, you know, the, the iPhone wasn't such a big deal then. It kind of, it, had, it was, wasn't was a business tool. It was more of a kind of a personal, like people would generally had, if they were in business, if they were leaders or managers, they generally had Blackberries or HTCs back then. And um, so, so we would send mentors to their office or home uh, or they could have a telephone session as well. How interesting is that concept now? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was a part of a team booking the session. So I'd call people up and say, hey, you've got a complimentary session to help to use your phone. You know, would you like it? <laughs> Who's going to say no to that? Uh, it'd be, you'd be surprised how many people did because it, some people yeah. felt like it was an, an offence. Like, what do you mean I can't use my phone? <laughs> so anyway, I um, worked from home and I was the top salesperson. I smashed it and the leader of the business at the time said, he called me into the office and he said to me, Janine, I think it's really selfish for you to be working from home. (laughs) I was like, what? He said, because you're such a great salesperson, I want people to be around you. I want you to be in the office so that you can influence other people. Um, And I understand that strategy in sales. I totally understand it. And I said to him, the reason I'm so good is because I'm working from home. Yeah. <laughs> you, you pull me out and you put me into an office environment, I won't be as successful. And he said, okay, well, it's like the, uh, sorry, it reminds me of the uh, common mistake entrepreneurs make of, uh, what do you call it? Um, promoting, <laughs> couldn't think of the word, yeah. promoting their top salesperson to sales management. And it's like, oh. well, you know, not necessarily, they're really good at, sales, not necessarily good at sales management or leadership. So it just, it just reminds me of that where he was like, you're getting such good results. Let's change what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you know, this is a a big thing that I've come across and consulting with leaders or managers because they are really managers because they don't know how to manage people um, or lead people. Exactly what you just said. It's come, it stemmed from a promotion and they have absolutely no idea how to lead people. It's a completely different skill set. 
And this is the, the major yeah. mistake so many companies make. And then they go, here you go. Congratulations, pat on the back. Here's a salary increase, but a decrease in pay because you don't get commission anymore. <laughs> and we're going to give you a team of people to, to lead. Good luck. Here you go. I'm too busy mm. to, to kind of manage and mentor you. So uh, you'll be amazing. And that's a very, very common mistake that businesses make. So I agreed to come into the office one day a week. I said, yeah, I can do one day a week. That's not a problem. And then, you know, I definitely helped mentor others into sales. Um, and then and then I moved to Australia. And when I moved to Australia, this this um, business owner said, I, we can't let you be gone from this business, you know. You're too valuable a resource. So he contacted the, the person who was setting up business in Australia and so I ended up being the operations manager for her. And um, so that kind of all just came about. And initially, I didn't want to be. So she asked me to be and I said no. I said, look, what I can do is I can care, caretake the role until you find mm-hmm. somebody because I wanted to create my own business when I got to Australia. And, and so <laughs> after about six months, I said to her, are you still looking <laughs> for an operations manager to replace me? <laughs> and she said, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> Oh, okay, because that wasn't the plan, you know. I was actually just mm. helping you out, so I ended up staying in that role. And then from there, I ended up, once I left that business, I ended up consulting to other, you know, call centres and, and businesses who were um, inducting new employees. I, I went into recruitment and uh, went into um, training leaders on how to induct new people, how to employ and release people as well, uh, and then moved on into creating my own programs for leading people effectively, um, especially for people who had been thrown into those leadership roles that we just spoke about where they had no idea how to lead a person at all. You know, super excited yeah. to get the promotion and then felt like a failure. It's, it's, a, it's a set up for failure. Like immediately, almost immediately felt like a failure because they couldn't deliver yeah. as a leader, you know, and wanting to go back to better money, less responsibility mm-hmm. <laughs> as a, you know, as, as a consultant or an employee on the phones or whatever the role might yeah, have Yeah, it's definitely something I've experienced um, throughout my entrepreneurial career is, you know, early on I would give people these opportunities or promotions thinking that, just assuming that they would want them, mm. um, usually based on some potential or promise that I'd seen in them, some high performance in some other area and make that same kind of mistake. And what I realised at some point as well was I wasn't always engaging them and really having a conversation about whether that's what they wanted. Um, <laughs> it sounds like such a basic concept, doesn't it? I but know. It is and such a common mistake. Exactly. And really understanding like the role, moving into a role that has that more responsibility and maybe a team is quite a different role than the operational role that they might've been in before where they were Mm. doing the doing and now they're doing the leading. Um, Mm. And yeah, I, I really baffled me for a long time because once again, common mistake we all make in our lives, but particularly as entrepreneurs is like assuming that other people want are, act in the same ways, you know, are driven by the same things we are. And I'm the entrepreneur. I'm the one that like basically says yes to everything. And, 
kind of has really had to learn in my life to say no, to be more discerning because I'm always hungry. And whenever an opportunity came, I would just take it. You know, I'm the bite off more than I can chew and figure it out later person, but that's not how everybody is. And I had to understand that, you know, what my ideas of advancement, um, happiness, there's a lot of, especially the younger me, really got off on (laughs) this like (laughs) constant moving forward type of thing. And not everybody has that same passion. Some people are much more motivated by deepening their skill set in a certain area, becoming true experts at something, or I don't know, there's many different motivators, but I had to learn along the way that having a conversation with someone about where they wanted their careers to go, if I did see leadership potential in them, flagging it with them in a way also that was not, um, didn't have them, didn't leave them feeling obligated. That was another thing Mm. I discovered that sometimes people didn't want to let me down. So they would say yes. They would even sometimes say yes enthusiastically, but not so much for themselves, but because they just wanted to, you know, live up to whatever my expectations might have been with them, been of them or something like that. So really opening conversations now with people and saying, you know, I see this as a potential path for you in your career, um, but I would love to hear from you or maybe even asking them first is probably even better. You know, where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? Is this something that feels like, you know, how do we build that path together versus me just kind of throwing this opportunity at them and, having them feel all sorts of different things and ways that they need to respond only to find out later that, yeah, in many cases, they're like, oh my gosh, I just want to go back to what I was doing before. Which is challenging because no matter who you are, I think when you take a step in a certain direction, the decision to go back um, and back is still you know, up, up to interpretation, but it, I, you, I was then putting them in a position where they would have to get all this courage up to say, I'm not thriving. I want to go back to what I was doing before and have that kind of be handled, not as some kind of failure, but just as a, you know, it didn't work out. So I'd rather now actually set it up for that. Like we can try this as well. And if it doesn't feel right, there's no obligation for you to do that. There's no obligation we talk within our team about, you know, sometimes you might hire above you. Like you might decide, like, I don't want to be the one to lead this team. I'd like to us to hire a team leader and you could be the one to do that. You could hire your own boss. Um, it kind of goes whichever way. Let's. The most important thing is finding that right fit for everybody at the, at the moment, at the time, um, so that they are thriving. Yeah, exactly. And that's such a brilliant strategy to, because opening up really all leadership, quality leadership comes down to is understanding human behavior. That's really all it is. And it's really understanding that, you know, having a conversation changes everything. If you think about, think about all the battles, all of the major conflicts, they 99% come from misunderstandings. So it's literally just one person making an assumption and taking action based on the assumption that they've made and then the other person having to either go along for the ride or go into conflict. And so, you know, if you're leading that way, then you're going to have continuous conflict in your organisation. And so just the mere thought or fact of sitting down with your team and saying, what do you actually want? It's a very unique concept. It shouldn't be. 
But it's a very, mm. very new concept. And another problem or another challenge that especially entrepreneurs and business owners have is they expect people to be at the same level of thinking as them. And you just mentioned it before, you know, boots and all, you know, bite off more you can chew. And, and, and it's really, really difficult for some leaders of that nature to understand why, can't, why doesn't my team want this? Why, mm. why are they not more ambitious? Why don't they, you know, see what I see? Well, the, the truth is they don't. They don't see yeah. what you see. And when you start to understand that, you know, people don't need to behave the same way as you in that light because you are the entrepreneur, you are the business owner, you are the leader of the business, you don't want everybody like that in your business. You want the doers. You know, you want the the, the mix of people who complement each other. The, the key problem is when you talk to your people at the same level of thinking that you're at. You need to understand their world and you need to communicate with them in their world so that they can come into your world, not you telling or demanding that they be in your world. Because there's there's a mismatch of communication there, obviously, because you almost speak a different language. Yeah, and you hit the head on another thing that I, another experience I had kind of challenges with early on was also actually hiring people who kind of were like me, which I now realise that's not what I need. (laughs) We have one of me. (laughs) We need some other skill sets to fill in the, in the gaps. And that would, that would cause its own unique set of problems where you would have these conflicts between my role in the company as CEO, and I, for me, I very much define it as leadership strategy and vision. Those are the things, those are the areas of the business that I'm responsible for. So mm-hmm. if I've hired someone in who's a mini-me, chances are they're hungry for some <laughs> of that too, but yes. we don't actually need two of that. Like who's doing, who's really excited about the systems and processes we're building to scale? Who's excited mm-hmm. about, you know, the way that we manage our cash flow and financial structures to grow? Who's really mm-hmm. excited about building, I don't know, um, anything else yeah. that you need in a business, you know? Exactly. And, and that would, I'd run into problems with that as well because we'd be conflicting and I'd be frustrated that things weren't being done. They'd probably be frustrated with, my vision, my leadership, because they also had vision and leadership and wanted to kind of, you know, we, we naturally want to do the things that um, we're good at or that are calling us. So if we can't like do them, you know, if we're not able to express our genius, then we're going to be frustrated. So me hiring a bunch of mini me's and essentially not having space for them to express their genius in the business was also never going to work. No, no, definitely not. And again, it's a setup for failure, right? Not only failure, but conflict, because when there are people who are highly ambitious, and especially if they're really good at getting their own way, and maybe that's why they've got where they are today, um, then people are butting heads. You do end up butting heads because you know what it's like when you've got a really great idea or you really want to execute some kind of strategy because it's going to change the world, you know, Sometimes we don't want to let go of that <laughs> because we can see yeah. we're visionaries. We can see the end result or the outcome mm-hmm. uh, where other people can't. And so we can quite often you know, butt heads on that if we do have too many people like that. So it's, it's all about balance, isn't it? But not only balance, but it comes back to what I was saying before and what you've already said is just communicate, just talk. If, yeah, if it doesn't feel right, then ask. 
You know, is, yeah. are, you, are you happy in the role? Is, there, is this what you're looking for? Where are you kind of heading? You know, how can I support you? What resources do you need? It's it's really about encompassing that. It's really interesting because um, something that Simon Sinek, Sinek says is, you know, when you become a leader, you stop being the the leader of the thing that you were doing. You start to become a leader of the people who are leading the thing that you were doing. And so it's yeah. really important to remove yourself from the thing and start actually stepping into leading the people who are delivering mm-hmm. the thing. It's such a yeah. change of, of mindset. Super challenging for people as well, um, you know, as you're going from smaller business and then starting to grow and scale, where naturally mm-hmm. you have had to do some of the doing or a lot of the doing, I should say, for a long time. Mm-hmm really challenging to start handing off all of that um, and focusing on the vision of the business and integrating all of that into the culture and leading the people um, versus leading the actual product or service. Yeah, it is. It's very, very challenging. Yeah. And especially when they're not doing it the same way as you, which of course they won't be because they're different to you. And so they have a different approach. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when somebody first steps into leadership, it can easily be, oh, just give it to me. I'll do it. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure every leader who's listening has experienced that. If I want it done properly, I've got to do it myself. (laughs) Yeah. And all we do there is we we ensure that it takes longer for us to really hand over and step into our genius. And we have a bunch of people working for us who don't really feel very empowered or like they're contributing. Because I think as individuals, we all want to bring, I used the term earlier, we all want to bring our genius. We all want to come to whatever we're doing every day and feel like we've made an impact. So if we're kind of sheltering them from the things that they need to be learning to do because we just can't be bothered to deal with the fact that maybe there's going to be a drop in quality for a moment while they're on a learning curve. You know, they're leaving every day or closing down the laptop every day feeling like, I didn't really, you know, get there today. I didn't really, I don't really Mm -hmm. feel like I crushed it. And that's just very, very disheartening for people over a long period of time. Yeah. And also they'll do the bare minimum because they're going to be living in fear. They're going to be so afraid that they're going to let you down because ultimately that's what it becomes. Yeah, that's what you create over the longer term. Mm -hmm. I always think of it as when I'm building a team, when I've been maybe doing something for a little while for myself and we're starting to grow and scale. And, And this happens kind of in iterations as the team continues to grow. But I think of it as you know, if I look at the the quality curve, for example, and let's say by quality, I'm talking about all of the aspects of delivering whatever it is that we deliver at a certain standard. I always think of it as there's going to be a little bit of a dip. So we're going to, if we think we're delivering at, you know, somewhere between 90 and hundred percent right now, we're doing a really good job we're maybe going to drop down to 85% for a little bit while everybody comes Mm -hmm. up to speed. And then we're going to go up, but we're going to be probably actually discover that our 90% was not that good. Um, Mm -hmm. Our 90% was actually maybe more like a 75 of what we're now capable of as an expanded empowered team. And then the quality actually goes up quite a bit higher than it was before, but there is a process that you need to go through and there tends to be some growing pains that come with that. And for me as an entrepreneur, it became 
very important for me to separate myself from the company um, because early on I kind of thought I was the company and anytime something went wrong, it was like I was wrong and I had done something wrong. Mm. But to understand the company has a consciousness of its own, it is an entity of its own, it is not perfect either, um, just as none of us are in this world. And for us to continue to grow and expand and do more of what we do in the world as an organisation you know, there's going to be these dips and these ebbs and flows as we continue to actually grow and expand upward and outward, um, if that makes sense. But we have to go through those, um, we've got to go through the trenches to get out the other side sometimes. Yeah, exactly. To, to expand, you have to retract, right? And I think I think also, you know, as a leader, and Sarah, I would, I would love to hear your experience of this, but, you know, if you're a leader who likes to control and you like to deliver, uh, on time, you know, at a certain quality, and you feel like you're, you know, you are going through this transition of expansion. So many leaders give up before they actually end up going into the expansion because it just gets too challenging because they feel out of control. And so, what have you done to to get through that confrontation almost? Because that's what it feels like when you are a leader of control. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Um, I'm oh, sure you have, have because, you know, mm. you, you, you're definitely a conscious leader. Now I'm sure you haven't always been. Um, but it's, it's you know, w- what strategies have you used to be able to overcome? Because that's so daunting for a leader who feels like they're out of control, especially when they're accountable and reportable to, you know, somebody else, uh, you know, whether they're board members or their shareholders or, you know, CEO. How have you dealt with that? I think it is taking that step back and seeing the bigger picture and the macro. And obviously I talk from the framework of being an entrepreneur and I don't have the context of what it's like to do this in within a bigger organization where Mm. I'm kind of answerable to essentially our customers. They're the people that pay us, you know what I mean? Um, Mm. And potentially investors and my team. I think those are my three key stakeholders as a CEO. Mm. Um, Whereas in a company, a bigger company, you're answerable to the people above you within the organization. So I can't speak to that. However, I think I'm sure there's some crossover in that I try to macro out, as I said earlier, and see the business as, and this area of the business as something that is separate from me. And, Mm -hmm. and we are trying to move it in a bigger, more expanded direction. And Mm -hmm. there's a process to go through, um, as we do that and we, we hit a roadblock or a snag and I just try to learn from that. What is it that we can learn? What's the roadblock? What's the snag? And how do we all engage as a team in that roadblock Mm -hmm. so that we are learning? It's not just me coming in and going, oh, fine, I'll clean up the mess and being all frustrated and getting on the phone to the client and saving the day. Like, no, I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll help and guide and coach the team members involved to have those conversations, to reflect, to figure out how we can do it better next time, what the learning curve was, where I may have failed them as a leader, didn't, didn't uh, you know, provide them with enough training or the resources they needed. Like that's, you know, really owning that as well. Like looking at it as a whole team, like, well, how did that happen? So that's such a conscious way of thinking that though. So how did you get to that? Because a lot of leaders listening now would be thinking, wow, it just seems like such a simple concept. Why am I not doing that? And so something triggers leaders into that, right? So it's about getting past that fear barrier 
and going, okay, I just got, I just have to do it. If I want a, a long-term successful team. Mm. It's every... Did you have a time where you just went, shit, this is not working? <laughs> a specific moment, yeah. I, I think um, for me it comes to in everything, right, in my relationships in life, in friendships, in business. It's all relate. We're, all, we're relating with everything all the time, right? So it's yeah, yeah. what is my role in this? Like what 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 role did I play? Mm-hmm. And taking getting out of that victim mindset. And the victim mindset is anytime we believe that these things are just happening around us and we're completely powerless, um, even if it might be the the frustrated at somebody else, um, whenever we're in that victim mindset, we we give away our power to improve it for next time. So, mm-hmm. and that's something I learned. I mean, I learned it in my own life young. I got myself in a bunch of credit card debt when I was like 18 and I was very angry at the bank for letting me overdraw my account and all these, I made up all of these stories. And then one day I just, I think I was reading back over my journal entries. And sometimes when you read back over your own words, you're like, what am Mm -hmm. I talking about? Like, let's be honest with yourself. You knew you were spending more money than you had and you need to dig (laughs) yourself out of this. (laughs) That was one of my very early moments of taking full responsibility um, Mm. for the situation I was in and and moving it forward. But I, I think that's a practice that I have in my life whenever I come into conflict or come into challenge or struggle or failure or whatever we want to label it as the way that the, I know that the only way I'm going to get through it is and learn from it and not have it repeat is if I really look at what is the role that I played and how do I show up authentically um, and talk about that. So when, when it comes to my team, it will be, well, okay, we've had this big mess and, you know, I might be able to very clearly see that someone over there dropped the ball on something. But rather than just focusing on that, I think, well, how did I set them up to drop the ball? Like, and I I don't, we can't take more than our share of responsibility, but like, what is there to learn? Maybe, Mm. are they the wrong person? Should I not even have them in the team? And if that's Mm. the case, that's on me. I'm the one that keeps them here. If that's not the case, if it's more to do with our systems, our processes, uh, maybe I threw them in, maybe I didn't have those conversations about what they really wanted. Like, where do I show up to our discussion of reviewing and learning with the things that I contributed to the situation? Because that's where my learning and growth comes from. And Mm. I think one of the big times in my career, um, and, and I had business partner, I had business partners and a particular business partner for the first, I think, nine years of my entrepreneurial career, which was in some ways challenging because I, I didn't feel always able to be exactly how I wanted to be because I had this partner that I had to um, consult with in relation to how we were leading our people and our team. And I feel for myself and where I'm at right now, um, I don't have business partners and I can be very authentic and exactly how I need to be. All my business partnerships have been good though. So I'm not against them, but I think it's just, that was something that held me back. But I do remember in 2016, my financial planning company had just gotten into, like I'd had my head in the sand about our cash flow for a while. And we'd gotten into a bit of a situation where we were losing quite a bit of money and we weren't on top of it. And at some point or another, I sat there and looked at it and realized like, I need to do something. Otherwise the company's probably going to go broke in like six months. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the moment that I really 
I called my whole team together and I, I just showed them everything. I told them everything. I've told them exactly where we're at. I told them I owned, you know, the parts that were my fault, like where I'd just overspent in hope of the future, um, where I'd been distracted and busy with other things and leaving people who were maybe, you know, not as equipped, like leaving people totally out of their depth to try to make financial decisions in the business and not giving them the time that they needed to make the right decisions, like all the different things. And that was my moment of like really coming clean and opening up to my team. And that was, I would say that was January, 2016. That's when I really stepped into whole self, fully authentic, fully transparent leadership where it's just like, this is it. This is where it's at. This is who I am and where I'm at. Um, But that has carried forward into anytime anything is challenging in the business, um, I just create a culture and an environment or I aim to where we can all just without fear of punishment, look at where we contributed to the issue and how we can make it better as individuals and as a team. Mm, I love that because, I mean, that, that's so conscious though, you know, that, that, that your level of leadership is there's probably about 5% of people in the world who can lead like that. And um, that's why I wanted to ask because I feel like people who are listening would just love to hear, like, well, how do you do it? And really it was just the simple art <laughs> of making a decision to be transparent and to actually say and to call up and take accountability and responsibility for what's already happened and then to ask people because one one of the things that a lot of managers have trouble with is asking for help. So people feel like they're going to be exposed, that they're not capable of doing the job, they're not, they've been, they've been put into the role by default. Mm -hmm. You know, am I really capable of doing it? And so what happens is when they ask for help, they feel exposed and they feel like, man, if I say I can't do this, then I might lose my job. And if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, it's, you know, the basic human need is safety and security. Mm -hmm. If I lose my job, I've lost everything. And so you've got leaders or managers who are operating out of the space. And so they don't have the confidence to step into that transparency of leadership and the, the, the collaborative approach, you know, because and totally. this is a lot of the time where the control comes from is I have to deliver the outcome, not my team. I don't know. It's not about me leading my team to deliver the result. It's I have to deliver the result. And I love how you said that you step back and go, okay, well, you know, the business is an entity on itself in itself. And, you know, it's, it's really about everybody coming together and collaborating so that we can actually get the outcome we need, but it's also owning up when you need help. I love that. And it's such a simple concept, but it's something that's missed all the time. And it is scary. And, and, you know, working in a bigger organisation, it's probably more fear of those above and around that like, oh gosh, they're going to see I'm not actually capable. And, you know, for me, the fear was always my team will just think, what am I doing working for her? She doesn't know what she's doing. Like I don't, but, but the opposite is true. You know, the opposite Mm. ends up being true. And I think I, I can speak to when anyone in my team comes to me and says, I need help, like I'm struggling with this. Mm. Oh man, it is such a relief because I'm like, I can do yeah. that. I can be there. <laughs> I can help you. Like yeah. we can do this. Exactly. It's the the not knowing. Yeah. Um, 
you know, when someone's not really hitting their, what they should, hitting their stride performing. And as leaders, oftentimes we can find ourselves just ruminating over like, why are they not doing it? And it could be, you know, in a, in a lower conscious state, it could be just ruminating with frustration. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, mm-hmm. they're just, they're just hopeless. If you're someone like me, I find myself just constantly trying to problem solve and look at myself of like, what am I doing? Like, how can I get more out of them? Like, how can mm-hmm. I be a better leader for them? Da, 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 da. And I mean, I try to just open up the conversation as quickly as possible now um, and create that safe space for us to talk about what the blocks might be, what might be getting in the way. But I absolutely implore people, like if you are struggling, if something doesn't feel right, if you're not happy, uh, be brave and mm. go and talk to your leader or your, you know, whoever's above you, whoever can help you and say, I, I need help in this. And I mean, ultimately, if the person that you say that to is an asshole and yeah. fires you or doesn't support you, then you know, it might get be a great out. opportunity yeah. for you to yeah, get out and, and find somewhere where you'll be more supported. But mm. uh, you know, I think in many cases, um, if if the leader has any kind of, I guess, uh, what would you say? Like pride in being a leader and helping their team. Like it's an opportunity for us as leaders to step up and give someone the support they need. Um, and I think there's a lot of unspoken things in teams between teams, you know, things just not being said that Mm. end up causing, it's like a, a cancer or a, or a, a bacteria that's just eating away at the inside of the organizational culture or the team's culture within the bigger organization when leaders and their team members are not speaking to each other directly about the challenges they're facing. And it just grows and grows and grows until somebody ends up exploding, which is usually a, supply, a surprise resignation or a surprise um, termination. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so true. And I've worked in organizations where um, people have concealed from the CEO, you know, so we won't show them that. And I've I've stepped up because I'm all about transparency, right, and resolution. And, you know, knowing the CEO, I would say, I think the CEO would want to know about this. Ah, oh, no, no, let's not bother them with this. You know, we'll just, we'll resolve it without them. No, I feel like they need to actually understand this information because it's going to inform their decisions. But, you know, if you're, if you're in a team where they're avoiding sharing information with the leader of the organisation, then it's the question then becomes, is the leader creating a fear factor organisation where people are afraid to say, actually, mm-hmm. we stuffed up or, you know, we, we need to resolve it. So I kind of, I think about, I don't know how many listeners are in Australia, but, you know, I'm in Victoria, I'm in Melbourne, and we've just been through the strictest lockdown in the world from, mm. you know, the COVID response. We had a seven, well, we're still in it. We're just coming out of it now, but we've had a seven, almost eight-month lockdown now. And it's really interesting because a lot of the, and this is only what we see in the media, but, you know, Daniel Andrews, who's our MP or our um, premier of the state, he often comes out and says, well, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. The way that I see it is that his people or his team are probably operating out of, let's get this done and let's not share it with Daniel because, you know, we, we, he doesn't really need to know about this. And so when he's getting interviewed and people are saying, what, what happened here? He actually doesn't know about it, right? 
So the question then becomes, has he created an environment where his team don't feel safe to say, hey, look, this is what happened in hotel quarantine. This is what happened. You know, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. We changed this. It didn't work. Are they too afraid to speak up? And it's a, it's a red light when you see that behaviour, when you see a CEO or a leader of an organisation or even a leader of a team saying, I don't know. I don't know about that. That, that didn't happen mm. when clearly it did happen. So there's some kind of concealment from the team to the leader. It's definitely, a, you know, they're, they're, they're thriving in a fear environment. They're, they're not thriving as in, you know, being their best people, but it's like that bacteria is thriving, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's causing this cancer within the organisation. Like you say, eventually something breaks down. I'm really fascinated by this fear of transparency that we have in our world and I could, but I won't go down the rabbit hole of everything that's been going on in our world right now. But if we can just, I guess, stay focused on organisations because I have a lot of other stuff to say. Um, <laughs> but what, what, like, I'd love to hear your perspective on where this cultural, and I'm saying cultural as a whole, in our world, and this is, I feel, I mean, I've travelled a fair amount, probably 60 plus countries. So it's still, there's still a lot of other countries in the world, but I've traveled a lot in my life. And I feel as though I do business on a global level. I'm fairly up to speed with different countries and cultures and things, but just culturally, it seems the human race has a real challenge with transparency. I would just love to hear your perspective on that. Like, what do you see coming back to what we're talking about now, but companies, and we obviously work with companies, not just in Australia, work with companies in the US, Canada, all over the place, um, and and team members who are all over the world. So, you know, we are very open and exposed to the nuances that exist everywhere. But there is, it seems to be, you know, a permeable fear of, just being fully transparent that exists in our world that I, I do sense and I have so much hope that we're coming out of that um, and I understand my own journey out of it, but I would love to hear what you see and experience, you know, like what you just mentioned with people wanting to hide things from the CEO, like is it all fear or where, where does it come from? Yeah, I, I definitely think it comes back. If you think about, you know, historically human behaviour, right, so we've lived in communities and you know around campfires and there's always a leader who's leading you know the the community and so if you screw up you literally die so you're either beheaded or you know you're extradited from the community you're you know put on a stake you know you're burnt as a witch because you spoke up you know there's the the tradition of um the human acceptance across time has resulted in death. You're either accepted or you die. Mm, And so if you think about our physiology, we still have exactly the same physiology as our ancestors, right? And so our response, our human biological response to the threat of being extradited from the community is it's, it's almost a response of death. I will feel like I will die. Like I literally unconsciously think I'm going to die if I don't do the right thing in the workplace because I'll be ostracized, I'll be exited from my community, from my tribe. Mm. And so I think there's this innate human biological response 
And so we're so afraid to speak up and be transparent in case of extradition from from the tribe. I think at, at its basic, I think that's where it's stemmed mm. from. And if we go back to that Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, the safety and security, that's what that is. It's about, you know, do I feel safe here? Do I feel safe to speak out? Do I feel safe to bring my whole self to work? And at the moment, this is beautiful, and I don't know how it plays out in the rest of the world at the moment, but in Australia in particular, there's this beautiful bring your whole self to work um, movement, I guess, if you like, you know, LGBTI plus, you know, there's a lot of, um, especially major corporations in Australia have um, organisations within the organisation who are promoting and encouraging and supporting people to bring their whole selves to work, regardless of sex, regardless of gender. You know, it's 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 really it's it's a phenomenal movement. I don't know if you know about Plan B, but Plan B is um, Richard Branson has created. If you actually, if you Google Plan B, it comes up with um, the morning after pill. <laughs> so it's a really interesting, well-named organisation. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a, <laughs> that's a morning yeah. after pill here in the US. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, he, so he's got it, Plan B. And um, so what he's done is, is he's invited leaders around the world to put the planet before profit. And so uh, organisations, I think there's, there's either 11 or 15 um, commitments and of those commitments, as a leader of an organisation, you can choose to abide by one of these commitments. Now, one of the commitments is around humanity and bringing whole self to work. So I found that really intriguing that even at that level, there's uh, this global request or global um, desire to be able to bring whole self to work now. Uh, I was asked to work oh, on a project. So um, it's called 100% Human. It's a project. And um, I was asked to work on it a couple of years ago, but then the funding didn't come through for this organisation, so I didn't get to do it. But that would have been amazing and intriguing to set up an environment so people could be 100% human. And so, yeah, I'm hoping that, and, you know, my journey has taken me into, I've been really passionate about empathetic leadership for years and years, and it hasn't actually, it's just now starting to be accepted, Um, Mm. you know, probably over the last Maybe five years ago, it kind of it was like, "What you want to care about our people?" <laughs> you know, but but then it's it, it's it's now becoming. It's actually in Australia. It's actually a law here now, which came in about three years ago. If you don't have an environment that's conducive to mental wellness, and on the converse, if you have an environment that provokes mental illness, you can actually get sued here. And um, that's that's really intriguing for Australia because we don't talk about getting sued very regularly compared to the US. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so so now so so what's happening is the transition into this empathetic leadership. What's happening is at the moment we're still kind of sitting in the tick box. I call it the tick box. We've got to do it because it's law. We're not doing it because we want to. So we're kind mm. of transitioning into the want to because now we're going okay. There is value in being empathetic leaders. There is value in understanding that our people are actually human beings, not human doings. And, you know, as an empathetic leader, I want to create that space for my team to thrive and for my team to to step into their brilliance and the genius. Up mm. until now, it's kind of been, oh, I have to. Okay, uh, yeah, here's, here's, a, here's a report. Literally, here's a report. If the government comes knocking on our door, we've done the right thing. 
you know, we've provided workshops, we've provided a working space where we have light and air and, you know, if somebody says, I need to go outside, we're not stopping them from going outside. You know, if they're working remotely and they want to take time off from the laptop, we're allowing them to do that. Now it's starting to become that. I actually want my team to do that. So that's brilliant because it means that we're really stepping into that conscious leadership movement, you know, and which is great. But it's taken a very, very long time to get here. And, you know, if you, if you think about our physiology, going back to your original question, our physiology mm. hasn't really allowed that transition. Now we're understanding more about, people are more aware about their bodies and their responses in their bodies rather than just you know, doing a job. We're very, very conscious of who we are as a person and we can transform that into who we are as a leader or as a, a member of a team, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think what you've mentioned about human history as well, like, you know, everybody has different belief systems, but it, like I've tapped into a lot of my past lives and the, some of those past mm-hmm. lives have, you know, ended or have been, there has been suffering in them due to, you know, some level of not being able to speak out. And whether mm-hmm. it's a past life or whether it's just physiologically passed down, however you want to look at it, I think, um, and for me, it's it's both and all of the above, um, but mm-hmm. we've probably all come from lineages at least where there has been suffering in the past for being who you are and how you are or speaking the truth of a situation or a scenario and not just towing the line. I mean, we're seeing it in the world right now with the different voices that are mm. coming out and some of them are not able to be heard. It's up for debate who's right or wrong, but it shouldn't really matter, should it? Should it not be, mm. let's have a conversation, um, let's all talk, let's everybody be heard. So, mm. oh man, you just brought up so much for me that I, and I'm so excited and so hopeful for humanity as well. I've written plan B down because I definitely want to look into that. Most of my Mm. companies have been B Corps over the years and I've always been, it's been very important to me that what I'm doing in business is good for people and good for the planet. You know, that I'm making a positive impact, that everything we're doing actually leaves the world and leaves us, even our internal team and our customers, like a little better than we were before mm. our company existed or before we got involved in something. So it's just, and I, I absolutely believe it, having having gotten to a point of success in my life and realising that success doesn't come from possessions or money or whatever. It really comes from how we feel inside. That was a beautiful experience for me to start to really look at business as being this incredible um, vehicle for change, vehicle for impact, vehicle for expansion and expression um, versus, you know, just a vehicle to improve my personal wealth and, you know, to the detriment of the world around me. Like I'm absolutely against that model. I think I always have been, but going through the experience myself just cemented it for me. Um, I've spent the weekend really emotional actually at the loss of one of one of the most amazing founders and entrepreneurs I yes. believe has graced oh our planet, gosh. Tony yeah. Shea, mm-hmm. 46 years old. And, and you know, I, I honestly don't look up to too many people because there's a lot of people that inspire me. There's not many people that I just go, wow, like you really are my idol. And he was. He, mm-hmm. he, is, he, he is the person that 
and what he did at Zappos and in his organisations and in his life, um, mm. when I came across what he was doing with Holacracy, I think it was 2014, if I remember correctly, he turned Zappos to a Holacracy organisation, which is essentially self-management. Um, mm. And it is this idea that as individuals, you know, we're very powerful, we're very capable, we're very expansive. We don't need all this hierarchy and structure to make sure a little little robots, we get done what we need to get done. Like actually, mm. if we take the reins off and we free everyone a little bit and give them that empowerment, um, they can step up and own everything that they're meant to be doing and be in their in their um in their zone of genius. So yeah, he was when I learned about what he was doing, that was when I really started to embrace that concept. And I've been very engaged with Holacracy and the other um philosophy, I think is called Teal Organization. And you know, ultimately you end up with your own version of it because the whole point of it is essentially about understanding that every single organization and culture has its own consciousness and way of being and it attracts the people in and we can all just, there's there's uh, space for us all to bring our whole selves and be our whole selves at work and contribute to the organisation. So the culture kind of naturally evolves out of that um, as opposed mm-hmm. to previous frameworks, which were very much like, here's the 10 steps to be this type of organisation. Like I think what Tony did and and what he showed me through his life and everything he did was just, like to be brave and courageous with uh, my own intuition and doing Mm. things differently as a business that might not be in all the business books and the leadership books that I will have read. And so, you know, his life was an absolute gift to me and to so many. Um, Mm. But I feel really happy hearing you talk about where you feel and the movement stuff that you're seeing in Australia that I'm not so across living in the US. Um, Mm. But I'm experiencing huge levels of consciousness shifting here in the US as well. And, and reflecting on that, that when I first came across Tony's work and everything that he did, you know, it felt so uh, like such a small portion of people would be brave enough to do that. And it's so beautiful to see that it's starting to become more accepted, more normal, more mainstream. And I think what's happened this year, you know, the real genuine upside of this pandemic has been with remote work and everyone being forced to work from home, it's hard to not bring your whole self, (laughs) your whole self, including your kids and your dog and your partner walking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And everything that's, yeah, your bed and whatever room you happen to be able to work in. And the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've been, you've been remote for even longer than me. I've been remote since yeah, almost 2014. Like I'm very used to it, but Mm. Um, it's been really beautiful to watch the rest of the world, even go from the first Zoom meetings that I was doing with people where they would still be like all dressed up as if they were in an office and they would put those backgrounds (laughs) on their Zooms and things like that to like now everyone's just wearing what they want to wear that day. They might've just gone to yoga and it's okay. Like you still have the same brains in you and the same value to bring (laughs) if you're wearing your yoga gear or if you're wearing like a really uncomfortable suit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And that's um, as a leader, um, when I was leading people years ago, um, I always had this mantra that, you know, the way you dress is the way you feel. And so I used to say to people, turn up to the office the way you feel, the, the most relaxed but the most focused at work, right? 
And it was amazing because it made such a change where people, like you say, people feel stiff in a suit. If you're wearing a suit and tie, are you going to do your best work? You know, does it actually inspire you? For some people, that inspires them, and that's absolutely okay. Now, for some people, it's a trigger when they put their tie on, bang, I'm in business mode, and that's perfectly okay. I worked with a woman a few years ago who she had a closet of shoes at work, and she used to actually put on the shoes based on the activity she was about to do. And so for her, it was like, you know, as okay. an actor, you have you have a costume, right? And the costume s- stimulates that behavior in the in the character. And so she would like, okay, so she was going to an executive meeting, she would put on her high heels or whatever it was. I don't know which shoe, I can't remember what shoes she wore for what. But those were the shoes that gave her the, the internal power. These were the shoes that gave her, you know, the fun and the joy and the, the relaxed nature. So it's a really interesting approach. And the thing is, and again, it goes back to understand the people understand your team, understand what inspires and provokes and empowers each individual person. Don't make the assumption that everybody responds to the same things because they don't. Have a conversation. How do you feel empowered, you know? What room in the house do you like to work in? You want to work in the kitchen? That's fine. I'm more than happy if you've got the the oven in the background. Just do it. If that's what brings out the best in you, do it. I know. That's what I love about running a remote organisation is that I don't have to try to make decisions for my people as mm. to the environment that will be most productive for them. And that that mm. is a reality. Like no matter what I would do in our office space, and when I did have an office, I think it was pretty cool. It was a house. It was in South Melbourne. It was very casual. It looked a bit more like a creative studio than a financial planning business. But like, I'm sure that, you know, 30% of the people that worked for me loved it. 30% hated Mm -hmm. it. And whatever the rest is, 40% were probably kind of indifferent. Like no matter what you do, you know, you're not going to appeal to everyone. You're not going to appeal to everyone every day. Like I have my days where I want to work in a quiet, dark room. Um, I hope that it rains outside. <laughs> Can't mm. control that. But like, you know, those days where you want to be cozy and internal. You get somebody to stand outside with a hose. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And maybe I want to be in bed or with a blankie on me. And then I have yeah. other days where I'm like, oh, I want to be out in the fresh air or I want to be like near the beach or in a cafe with all this movement and energy and free flow. Like, and that's what I love about being remote is that I can create that. And my, and I know that my team are creating that for themselves every day, whatever it is they need versus me kind of creating this office space and saying, Oh, this is the space that's going to make all of us the most productive all the time. (laughs) Seems ludicrous now, really. It does, isn't it? But I think a lot of leaders are really fearful of the time thing, right? So I need to make sure that people are working, you know, if they're nine to five, they should be, you know, not going to the shops and buying their coffee or, they, you know, people need to be on the time. They're on the clock. They're on my clock. You know, how many mm. times do you hear people say, he did that on my clock? <laughs> Is it right? What? Your, yeah. your clock? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, your own time? Uh, so, you know, we become so focused on time outcome rather than, you know, task outcome or, you know, yeah. delivery of the project. And what does it matter if it takes somebody eight hours and you thought it was going to take 40 isn't it about the end product? As long as the end product is at, you know, the, the level that everybody agrees upon, doesn't matter how long it took. We've got this thing in our heads that we're employed for a certain amount of hours. Yeah, I mean, I think good for you. Like, how, how did you do it and can you teach us? Yeah, exactly. That's it. 
And the reality is if you have if you have people in your team who are as excited about, you know, the purpose and the vision and the mission of your organization as you are, if they get something done in eight hours, they're going to be like, ooh, what more can I do? Like, mm. you know, if you have people that are excited, they tend to just continue to add value and look for more that they can do. You know, we have unlimited vacation leave in our company and I feel like I'm constantly reminding people like it's okay to take your days and take time and do what you need to do because everybody's, we're pretty integrated, I would say. Like we all mm-hmm. love and enjoy what we do. And so it's quite integrated into our lives. And so we spend more time, I feel, talking about balance and ensuring like we're creating that balance for ourselves. Certainly than we do like, what, what's someone doing at 10 a.m. on Monday morning? Are they sitting at mm-hmm. their computer? I want to be sure that they are, are like, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of managers really struggle with that because, they, again, it comes back to that control, right? They feel like they're out of control of delivering the thing, but you're not delivering the thing. You're, mm. you're, you're not leading the thing. You're leading the people who are leading the thing. And so going back to that and going, okay, how can I make the best environment for my team to deliver their genius work, the best work of their career? You know, how can how can I create that environment? And by time watching is definitely not creating that environment. <laughs> Exactly. And and the only time I really feel that it's valid or valuable to go into somebody's kind of sh- schedule, calendar, um, how they're managing themselves is if they're struggling to get things done, mm-hmm. they're feeling overwhelmed. It's like, great, let's have a look at like how you're doing things and see if I can help you, especially with people who are mm-hmm. maybe younger and less experienced um, or mm-hmm. newer to the level of freedom that they would have in an organization like ours or in remote work. It's like people maybe sometimes need some help to be just like, Mm -hmm. I don't seem to be getting things done the way I would like to. And maybe people have more distractions at home, not in terms of it. Like, I really don't believe these myths that people sit around watching TV, but sometimes there can be just more going on with kids and partners and the door ringing, the doorbell getting deliveries or whatever, just different things going on Mm. that they don't necessarily have to deal with in an office. Different distractions exist in an office, I believe. Um, But Mm. other than that, I'm very much of the mindset of trusting people to organize themselves and trust that they'll get their job done and they do. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if somebody does want to sit down and watch a a 30-minute TV show as a break and they're going to get back into work far more efficient than sitting doing the same thing and not actually achieving anything. Isn't that better in the long run? Yeah, like, exactly. It doesn't matter I do that it. they took 30 <laughs> minutes out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, wouldn't you rather... So so if you're allowing them to, 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 to nurture their own uh, body clock and to really be aware of their own body clock and, and understand how they deliver the best work at the best time and the best time of day... Isn't that far better for everyone? <laughs> it just yeah. makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, and we've been doing it for so long. It's like, oh, I just, I can't imagine now trying to tell people how to run their lives and manage their days. But obviously I did not feel like this at the start. Like when I used to, when I have an office, when I had an office, I used to look at what people were doing and kind of I would be judging them and all sorts of things. And mm-hmm. um you know, and then when we first transitioned to remote, I was like skeptical and nervous and stuff. But in the end, I've seen like more effectiveness, more efficiency. And now I wouldn't dream of telling the adults who work by my side in my team 
what they should or shouldn't be doing with their mm. days. Mm. <laughs> seems so strange now. I mean, for, for, it seems like such a simple concept, but it is still, that, that, there's a, a fair factor in that too, right, for a leader totally. to be able to step into that. And it is a transition for the leader themselves to be able to do that and have the trust and the faith in the deliverables rather than, and in the people. Because it comes back to the people. If you understand the people, if you understand your team, which, of which you are just a part of, by the way. <laughs> yeah, know, we, we have exactly. this thing, like you said before, you know, you step back, if, if something fails, it wasn't me that failed, it was the business that failed. Or, you know, the word fail is not really amazing. But, you know, it's, it's really about, okay, I'm just one piece of the puzzle. And so how can the puzzle fit perfectly together? It can only fit perfectly together if we create an environment, if we have the actual the frame for the puzzle to go into, right? And yeah. so if we're, as a leader, if we're constantly just making sure that that frame of the puzzle is intact and that we've got this environment that people can step into and be their brilliant selves, then, you know, that's our job as a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, this is what you're really good at is actually helping people and bridging that gap as leaders, helping them transition into this type of leadership versus, you know, the old type of more management military style or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, I admit, like, I don't know that I'm that good at guiding people there because I'm so far in my path that sometimes I forget how to bridge that and how to connect the dots for people. Um, So it may be even on my podcast, sometimes I just sound so kind of maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe I don't sound very understanding of where people are at, but this is what I think you are incredible at and what I hear from all of the people that go through the Transformational Leadership Program. But yeah, I would love to kind of wrap up our conversation with a little bit of an insight into what that course is. It's a six-week program, 90 minutes every week in groups of six, small groups of six is that correct? And and tell us a two bit hour, about two it. Two hours each week. It's oh, two um, hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two hours weekly for six weeks. Um, yes, yeah, small groups, maximum of six. Um, and it's it's a mentoring program. It's not a it's not a here's the PowerPoint presentation and I'm going to deliver the information to you. <laughs> it could not be further from that. Um, mm-hmm. It is it's a coaching program, and so it's really about you know each week we talk about we we have a topic and we'll talk about the challenges. We'll share the challenges. It's also a co mentorship as well, so you end up co-mentoring each other and sharing experiences so it's almost like a mastermind group really um and then we'll you know look at the challenges that people have been uh, facing as leaders at the moment and then we will work on you know some strategies on how to overcome or embed new strategies or embed um, new ideas or even new philosophies for people to test and so then they'll go and they'll test for that that following week and then they'll come back the next week and then we'll talk about you know their success or their their uh, experiment with the, the changes that they made and how that played out and then you know it's a culmination so after the six weeks you know it's it's very much about creating an awareness really because you know it takes quite a while for habits to change and I say to people don't expect to walk away from the six weeks having changed everything about your leadership yeah although as you mentioned before you know it's it, you do you do change because you start to see things differently it's a lot of it's about perspective and human behavior and awareness and understanding that when we understand how we operate and how we behave we can understand our influence on other people whether it's a negative influence or a positive influence on others and we can start to lead our teams as um, seeing them as them not seeing them as a number in our business um, and so yeah so so it's a culmination 
So at the end of the six weeks, you know, it's about transparency and vulnerable leadership and and um, mm-hmm. understanding that um, we can lead people to be in their genius, really. And then um, we, we end the course, I do a follow-up one-on-one with each person. They make a commitment to follow through actively. It's very action-based. It's not information-based. It's, you know, if you're going to say you're going to do it, do it. And I'm <laughs> I'm known for being that person who, if you mention something to me, hey, I should do that, before you know it, you're doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, don't say, hey, I really think I may, maybe I'll start. I remember years ago my, my cousin said, I was thinking about starting a netball team. Like, right, the next week we were playing netball. Just like, (laughs) I'm going to stop saying things to you. (laughs) But it's all about action, you know. If you're going to mention something, I'm going to pull it apart and I'm going to go, okay, what's stopping you? Why are we not doing it? And it might be legitimate that, you know, it's not viable or you don't want to do it, but it was just a thought. But most of the time, if you mention, hey, I might do that, we'll make it happen. So, you know, it's very, it's very, it's not for the week. It's a very... um, well, it's personal and professional development, really, isn't it? This Very is you're going to be doing so, some yeah. inner work, some self work, and the 100%. whole idea is, and and which I think going back to one of the earlier questions you asked me, but it it was when I started doing work on myself, who I am as a person, and bringing that to my leadership was when I saw real yeah. transformation, and that's really the gift of what you're giving people. You're creating this environment for them to do a lot of deep inner work that they are, you know, bringing then into their leadership style and into their culture of their business or their team, their unit. Um, and it's, it is very transformative from what I've heard from everyone who's gone through the course. It's just been incredibly transformative and quite quick, but as we know, anyone listening who's done inner work, which I imagine most people on this, um, who listen are growth oriented types of people, given the nature of what we talk about on the show. But we know that whatever we learn and do in a retreat or a course or a moment, a ceremony, whatever it might be, we continue to integrate that and it continues to pay dividends for the rest of our lives. Exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and, you know, it's essential that we, we embrace the opportunities that, you know, if, if you have an opportunity to step into brilliant leadership, why would you not? Mm. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, I feel like we, we, we're constantly turning away or turning off our desire to be brilliant because we're afraid of, I mean, I, I love the Marianne Williamson mm-hmm. saying, you know, who are we to be? Yeah. We're, we're more afraid of our brilliance than our or our light than our darkness, totally. right? <laughs> and so we constantly have this pull to be better, but then it's it feels safer sometimes to retract and be in the shadow, because mm-hmm. you know if we step if we are shining our light, then we can actually be seen by the tribe and ostracised. <laughs> yep. So yeah, it's that whole thing, you know, of, of stepping into our own brilliance so that others you know shine the light so others can shine their own. And I love that. I love it too. That's one of my favourite quotes of all time. Same. It just keeps coming up for me constantly. But, yeah, so it's, it's about being in that in that environment where people call you out too, you know, like, wait a minute, you said you were going to do that. Are you, are you not going to do that anymore? <laughs> no, that's we, good and that's what we need as well. We need those mirrors and those reflectors. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can just... So I love having your light in our team. I absolutely love this program you've 
created and everything you else you contribute to us as an organization. I think, you know, if anyone is interested in doing this brave and courageous leadership work, I would encourage you, we'll have it all in the show notes, the links to the upcoming dates we have. I think our first January program is almost full. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was voice noting with, with Ren, one of our growth consultants this morning. I think that one's full, but there's going to be a whole bunch of dates coming up in the new year. And we're also, um, and we have done this before, but customized programs for if you have, you know, a, a number of leaders within your organization, you just want to do it all together, we can put dates together. You don't have to stick with one of our formal dates. So reach out to us. We'll have a conversation about that and pricing if you're bringing an entire group in together as well. So, but it's yeah, really and- exceptional value for what you do. It's it's just under $2,000 for the entire course, $1,997 mm-hmm. um, for six weeks, two hours a week for six weeks of this deep diving, deep, very transformative inner work that will... Um, shift your culture and your organization or your team if you work in a, in a bigger corporate. You know, if you want to be more high-performing and be getting more out of yourself and your team, like this is the way to do it. This is the work. And we are really blessed to have you in our team bringing this to all of our amazing community. So thanks so much for coming on the show and talking all about it and what a great conversation we had. It was awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm blessed to be, you know, a part of that light. And, you know, it's easy to shine your light when everyone else around you is shining their lights. You know, so thanks for having me as a part of the team. And I'm loving this leadership program. It's, you know, changing people's experiences of being a leader, which is great. You know, people are embracing that, <laughs> the, the their own ability. They're stepping into their own ability, which is so cool. Because, you know, if you're constantly feeling like you're just not stepping up because you've been thrown into an environment that you're not familiar with, it's just that you're not familiar with it. It's not that you're not great at it. You just haven't learned it yet. So, yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that. I love it. Oh, my pleasure. We do have a pretty great team. (laughs) I've never worked with such a conscious leader. It's just amazing. You are the epitome of conscious leadership. It's, It's phenomenal. I love the way that you lead your team. Thank you so much received thank you sister (laughs) pleasure thanks for listening to this episode of conscious culture the evolution of work follow us as we further explore real stories of remote companies and the thriving cultures they are creating to stay updated with all our episodes subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app in the show notes of each episode you'll find some of our favorite remote work and culture resources However, if you want to have a chat about remote work, how it's done and how it can benefit your company, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime. My email address is sarah at growmyteam.com.au. Thank you so much for joining us once again today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with myself and Janine. She really is an exceptional leader, coach and consultant. I'm so blessed and privileged to have her on the team. As we mentioned at the end of the show, we'll put all the show notes in here so that you can jump into that leadership program if you're interested in it. Otherwise, I hope you got some good juice and takeaways from this conversation. I know I did. She adds value to me always. Until next time, keep inspiring.